0: Amen. All glories to the assembled devotees. Amen. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled, All to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gurunga. All glories to Sri Kabubhai. Maybe somebody put a cross. Namah Om Vishnu Vidya Krishna Sthayi Bhagavan Ati Vakhi Vranti Swamiji Namah Namaste saraswati Devi Goravani Puccharini Nirvesha Sisya Nirali Paschati one day, she grew up at Sagrajatam, Sahagana, Raghana Kam, becomes Sadvadutam, Padijana, Savita, Devam. She Radha Krishna, Padam Sahagana, the Navy Jai Jai, Sri Chaitanya Jaya Jaya Chandra, Jaya Gorabakta Rinda. Jaya Chandra, Jaya Gorabakta Rinda. Jaya Jaya Shri Caitanya, Jaya Nischananda. Jaya jaya, jaya jaya Chandra, Jaya Rinda. Jaya Chandra, Jaya Gorabakta Rinda. Jaya Shri Chaitanya, Jaya Nityananda, Jaya Jaya Shri Chaitanya, Jaya Nityananda, Jaya 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 Nichananda. Jaya, 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 jaya So it's July 8th, 2018 in Goloka Dham near Frankfurt in Germany and we're reading from Chaitanya Charitamrita Adi Lila Chapter 2, Lord Chaitanya, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Text 22. Yeah? Setagovinda Saksha, Chaitanya Go Sunny. Setagovinda Saksha, Chaitanya Go Sunny. Even is Tari Te Aiche, Seta that. Govinda. 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 Govinda, Govinda, Sakshat, Sankshat. Sankshat. personally, personally. personally. Chaitanya. Chaitanya, Lord Chaitanya, Chaitanya. Goshani, Goshani. 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 <laughs> Jiva. Jiva, the fallen living entities, the fallen living entities. Nistarite. Nistarite. Nistarite, to deliver, deliver. Aichi, such. Dayalu. Dayalu, a merciful Lord, a merciful Lord. A merciful Lord. Ara. ara, another, another. nai, there is not. So the Prophet's translation. That Govinda personally appears as Chaitanya Goshani. No other Lord is as merciful in delivering the fallen souls. So this is quite a long report. Um, If they're going to play with things that are noisy, then the noisy things have to be on a mat. Quite a long purport. And uh, Srila Prabhupada is mostly going to be quoting verses from the Shastra to establish that Lord Chaitanya is the Supreme Lord. So Srila Prabhupada's purport. Having described Govinda in terms of his Brahman and Paramatma features, now the author of Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, advances his argument to prove that Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the identical personality. The same Lord Sri Krishna in the garb of a devotee of Sri Krishna descended to this mortal world to reclaim the fallen human beings who had misunderstood the personality of Godhead even after his explanation in the Bhagavad Gita. In the Bhagavad Gita, the personality of Godhead Sri Krishna directly instructed that the Supreme is a person, that the impersonal Brahman is his glowing effulgence, and that the Padamātma is his partial representation. All men were therefore advised to follow the path of Sri Krishna, leaving aside all mundane isms. So Prabhupada there is, what verse is he referring to in the Bhagavad Gita? Advised to follow the path of Sri Krishna, leaving aside all mundane isms. Offenders misunderstood this instruction, however, because of their poor fund of knowledge. Thus, by his causeless, unlimited mercy, Sri Krishna came again as Sri Chaitanya Goswami. The author of Sri Chaitanya Tamrita most emphatically stresses. The Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Sri Krishna himself. He is not an expansion of the Prakasha or Vilasha forms of Sri Krishna. He is the Swayam Rupa Govinda. So this is important because most of the avatars of Krishna are expansions of Krishna. They're not displaying the full opulences of the Lord. So here it's explained that Lord Chaitanya is not such an expansion. He's Krishna himself, but in a different mood. Going on, apart from the relevant scriptural evidence forwarded by Srila Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami, there are innumerable other scriptural statements regarding Lord Chaitanya's being the Supreme Lord himself. The following, following examples may be cited. So Prabhupada is saying here that Krishna Das Kaviraj has already given a lot of scriptural quotes to show that Mahaprabhu is Krishna, and now Srila Prabhupada is going to give additional ones. So again, the rest of this purport is simply Srila Prabhupada quoting from different references to say that Lord Chaitanya is God. Okay. Number one, from the Chaitanya Upanishad 5. Gora, Sarvatma, Mahapurusha, Mahatma, Mahayogi Tri Gunatita, Sattvarupa, Bhakti Loge This is a translation of that verse. Lord Gora, who is the all-pervading super soul, the supreme personality of Godhead appears as a great saint and powerful mystic who is above the three modes of nature and is the emblem of transcendental activity. He disseminates the cult of devotion throughout the world. End of that translation. Number two. So, Prabhupada's quoted, let's see, all together. Eight. So, quote number two. From the Swetishvara Upanishad, six, seven, and three, twelve, tam ishwara nam paraman maheshwaram tam devitanam paramam tajayavatam patim patinam paramam vidam devam bhuvanesham idyam. translation of that verse O Supreme Lord you are the Supreme Maheshwara the worshipful deity of all the demigods and the Supreme Lord of all lords you are the controller of all controllers the personality of Godhead the Lord of everything worshipable, maham Prabhu vai purusha, sattvas yaisha pavartaka, su nirmalam imam Isha ishano jyotir avyaya. The Supreme, the translation of that verse, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is Mahaprabhu, who disseminates transcendental enlightenment. Just to be in touch with him is to be in contact with the indestructible Ramajyoti. Quote three from the Mukunda Upanishad three thirteen pasyate Kartaram Isham Purusham Brahma Yonim. Translation of that verse. One who sees that golden colored personality of Godhead, the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Actor, who is the source of the Supreme Brahman, is liberated. Quote number four. From Shimad Bhagvatam, eleven, five, thirty-three, thirty-four, and seven, nine, thirty-eight. Jayam Sada padibava gnam abhishe doham, padam siva Virinchi nunam sharanyam, britya tiham Pranata pala bavadi potam, vande mahapurushate charanada vindam. Translation of that verse. We offer our respectful obeisances unto the lotus feet of him, the Lord, upon whom one should always meditate. He destroys insults to his devotees. Isn't that nice? I like that. He removes the distresses of his devotees and satisfies their desires. He, the abode of all holy places and the shelter of all the sages, is worshipable by Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma. He is the boat of the demigods for crossing the ocean of birth and death, the boat of the demigods. So, you know, there's a nice verse in the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam when the demigods are offering prayers to the Lord and they say, your lotus feet are the boat by which we can cross the material ocean. And then people may ask, well, if the demigods have gotten in this boat and crossed the material ocean, how can we get in it? Because when you go in a boat... When you cross an ocean, the boat goes with you, yeah? How does it come back to the other side? And the answer is, the boat actually doesn't travel with you. Because the quote is, as soon as you approach the boat, you're on the other side. You don't have to actually get in the boat and travel across the ocean. That the whole ocean shrinks to a little puddle, like if a little calf was walking in the mud... And then it rained, and water filled up this little impression of the calf's footprint. Of course, we don't see very many calf's footprints here in Germany. Maybe you see a big dog's footprint. So, very a very very small puddle that, if you're walking, you wouldn't even notice as you cross over it. So, all of our anartas, all of our struggles, all of our attachments, you know, all the things that we're thinking: oh, I have this problem, that problem. As soon as we approach the feet of the Lord, all that ocean of problem, this huge Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean, Indian Ocean, whatever ocean you're familiar with, uh, Mediterranean Sea, immediately it just becomes like a little tiny puddle and you cross over it easily, without even noticing. So again, this is the, the fourth quote. This is from Bhagavatam 7, 9, 38. Absolutely. <clears throat> Just for the ability of absorbing into the lecture, we have a, a library where we have a place for children to play. Yes, most of the children went there. And it's possible to hear the lecture at the same time, so for the parents, they can... you're not immune. You have no children. <laughs> <laughs> These people all have children. So they, they don't even hear it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They actually don't okay. hear it. When when you when you have children, you don't notice. It's like if you live by a train. Or if you live in a big city, it's just you don't even notice it, and and I don't notice it. But if it's really bothering you, she can. It's... No, no, we moved the children who had the noisy toys. So all all the noi- all the noisy, all the noisy toy children have gone. You see, Prabhu, I went through many, many, many years in ISKCON bringing my children to the class. And I went through so much emotional agony by people not being able to tolerate children. I mean, just, I I cannot even explain what I went through for so many years. So I always welcome children, unless they're screaming. Or in this case, they had very noisy toys that were just impossible to hear over. But some of you who don't have children and aren't immune, so you might want to... Take the child out for the sake of these people to whom children noises are intolerable. But for me, they're just like I don't even hear them. Yeah, those of you who have children, you don't. They're not part of your just background. I I, I remember in um, in North Carolina, we got a house next to a a train. The train was right in our backyard. So first night we couldn't sleep, and after that, it was no problem. Right, so one time, some devotees were visiting from California. I don't know if you know anything about California, but it's on a fault line. You understand? Oh, yeah. yeah. So the devotees were visiting from California, and they were sitting on the front porch, the front deck, veranda, whatever you call it. We were speaking, and a train went by. So when the train went by, it was too noisy. We, we had to stop for a minute, and then we just resumed talking. And the devotees looked at me, and they said, How can you be so calm in an earthquake? (laughs) For them, it was an earthquake. For them, it was an earthquake. But for us, it was just the train going by. We had an opposite experience. Uh, We were living out in the country, and my family. I'm originally from New York City, and we went to visit every year my family in New York. And one time, we stayed in the Brooklyn Temple, where it is now in Schermerhorn Street. And in the morning, when we woke up, my husband looked at me and said. There were really bad storms last night and I said, "Yeah, the thunder kept waking me up." And just as we said that, the subway train, you know, the subway underground train, went under the building and rattled the building and we looked at each other and just started laughing. So, you know, if you live there, you're not disturbed by the by the subway. Just like when we go to India, the the horns. <laughs> I think I'm going to lose my mind. You know? And I say to the driver, please stop blowing. He doesn't know how to drive without that. <laughs> <laughs> the car will not move. What did Adi Purushapamu say? He said, after living in India, he can understand that sound creates space. <laughs> New physics. New physics, yeah. But you know, for most of us in the rest of the world, the Indians, they don't even hear the one. But for most of us, it's like, ah, stop the horn. Okay, so going on, this is the fourth, uh, Prabhupada's quoting, and the fourth time here from the Bhagavatam. So, Twa Sudush Yaja shita Raja lakshmin Dharmista Arya Vachasayad Aga Aranyam Maya Migam Dayita Yekshpitam Anvad Havad Vande Mahapurushate Charanaravindam. We offer our respectful obeisances unto the lotus feet of the Lord, upon whom one should always meditate. He left his house or life, leaving aside his eternal consort, whom even the denizens of heaven adore. He went into the forest to deliver the fallen souls who are put into illusion by material energy. Just a little note that this verse has also been used by our Acharyas to describe not only Lord Shaitanya, but also Lord Ramachandra and also Lord Krishna. Then Prabhupada's quoting Pralad Maharaj who said Itam Nir Tiryad Rishi Deva Jasavatar Lokam Viva Vasisi Hamsi Jagat Patipam Dharmad Mahapurusha Pasi Yugan Nuvritam Chana Kalo Yad Ab Abavas Tri Yugo Tasatwam translation of that verse My lord you kill all the enemies of the world in your multifarious incarnations and the families of men, animals, demigods, rishis, (coughs) aquatics, and so on. Thus you illuminate the worlds with transcendental knowledge. In the age of Kali, O Mahapurusha, you sometimes appear in a covered incarnation. Therefore you are known as Triyuga, one who appears in only three yugas. Prabhupada's fifth fifth reference, from the Krishna Yamala Tantra, Punyakshetre Naradvipe, Bavishyami Sachi Suttaha. Translation, I shall appear in the holy na- land of Navadvipa as the son of Sachi Devi. Prabhupada's Six reference, from the Vayu Purana, Kalo Samkirtana Rambe, Bavishyami Sachi Suttaha. Translation, in the age of Kali, when the Sankirtan movement is inaugurated, I shall descend as the son of Sachi Devi. Prabhupada's Seven reference, from the Brahma Yamala Tantra, Atta Vaham Dara Rame But Vamad Bhakti Rupadrik Maya Yamcha Bavishyami Kalo Sankirtanagame translation Sometimes I personally appear on the surface of the world in the garb of a devotee. Specifically I appear as the son of Sachi in kaliyuga to start the Sankirtan That's eighth reference from the Ananta Samhita Yaeva Bhagavan Krishno. Radhika Prana balabha Swiss yado Sa Jagannato, Gora Ashan Maheshwari. Translation of that verse. The Supreme Person, Sri Krishna Himself, who is the life of Sri Radharani and is the Lord of the universe in creation, maintenance, and annihilation, appears as Gora, O Maheshwari. So today's verse again. Sevita Govinda Shakshad Chaitanya Goshani jiva te aiche dayalu aradnai. That Govinda personally appears as Chaitanya Goshani. No other lord is as merciful in delivering the fallen souls. So we were talking a little bit yesterday when we were having our just general question and answer session about different religions and different pasts, yes? And just like I was explaining how Srila Prabhupada told my father in 1974, there can be many religions as long as you know that you are trying to know God and love God. He said, then there is no problem with many religions. So in order to know God and love God, uh, that has to be a real religion. Anything else is not religion. And that puts us in several different categories. One category are religions which originally intended for the followers to know God and love God, but have become perverted over time. The leaders, the teachers, the followers have become haunted by the two witches of bhukti and mukti. So instead of trying to know and love God, they want to use God in some way. Just like if I found out that one of you was very wealthy and so I became very friendly with you and tried to do nice things for you, but my mentality was, simply uh, to enjoy your money. So my own parents were very wealthy, and they had this kind of problem all the time, that people would make friends with them simply for the purpose of trying to share in their wealth. So that's not love, is it? Is that love? Mm -hmm. No. Or if you want, uh, because someone will give you liberation, like if you're a prisoner in the jail and you make friends with the guards simply so they will recommend you for early parole. You don't care about the guard, you're using them. So whenever we're trying to please someone, but for the purpose of getting something from them, then we're not really trying to please them. It's not love, it's something else. Like you may go to a shop, and you're very friendly with the shopkeeper, but that's simply because you want to buy something. You want them to help you out in the store, you don't really care about them at all. Or if, you know, you work somewhere and you're nice to your customers, but you're nice to your customers just because you want them to buy something, as soon as you see that they're not going to buy something, then immediately your attention goes to something else. So most, we have to say honestly, that most of the teachers and the leaders and the followers In most religious systems of the world, although the systems themselves are bona fide, the teachers and the leaders are simply interested in bhukti and mukti. And this is compared by Rupa Goswami to being under the spell of a witch. There you are in the presence of the Lord, but instead of having love for him, you're looking for something else. You're with that person who can give you everything, who can give you the most wonderful thing, which is love of God, and instead you're asking for something else. Like the examples given, Druva Maharaj, when he saw the Lord, he said, I was looking for some broken pieces of glass, and somehow or other you've given me a diamond. He said, I came to you for wealth, I came to you for power, I came to you for vengeance, but you've given me your service, you've given me your loving service. So this is the analogy given. You go to a very rich person and you just ask them for some rice husks, the outside of the rice, which is practically useless. Right? So the goal should be to love God if it's going to be genuine religion. Then we have other things that appear to be religion uh, that aren't even part of a genuine religious process at all, although they may claim some affiliation with such Sociologists call these really systems of magic. So these are people who claim, you know, just follow our particular ritual and you'll get powers or you'll get wealth or something like that. So there, there are many of these systems in the world today. You know, just make a vision board of what you want and sit down and think about the universe and you'll get what you want. I'm heard, sure you've heard about these kind of systems. Uh, There are in America what we call televangelists who tell people, send me your money and I'll send you some sacred oil and cloth and if you just, you know, worship them, you'll become very rich just like me. I have a multi-million dollar jet and so many to mention and people aren't thinking the reason you're very rich, sir, is that you've conned so many people out of their money (laughs) with these promises of wealth. So these are not actually... Thank you so much, sir. So, neither of these are real systems of religion. One is a system of religion that is real and been perverted. And the other is something that is not real at all. So, to be real, you must want to love God. Now, in order to love God, you have to know God. How can you love somebody you don't know? And you have to know who is God. Right? I give the example all the time that... You know, if your teenage child comes home and says, Oh, I am in love. Oh, what is the boy's name? I don't know. What does he look like? I don't know. Where does he live? I don't know. What does he do? I don't know. So if people want to talk about love of God, we will find also in, in sometimes in the religions of the world, people do talk about loving God. They're not talking about using God for bhukti and mukti. They're not teaching some perverted system of magic. They're actually teaching to love God. But when you ask them, who is God? What is God? They cannot answer. They have some very vague idea of God. How do you love a vague idea? Oh, God is everywhere. God is everything. What does that mean? Does that mean I love my chair? I mean, what does it mean that God is everywhere, God is everything? How do I love the everywhere and everything? Even there are certain systems of religion that tell you that if you try to understand any form of the Lord, that is the greatest offense. Don't think of God as having a form at all. How are you going to love something formless? Formless. You're going to love the sky. I mean, you can admire the sky, some Adbuta Ras, big sky. We have a Iskan property in Auckland, New Zealand, that's up on a hill. And the primary geographical feature there is the sky. Everywhere is this big sky. Or in America, they call some of the western states the states of the big sky, because everything is so flat. So, you may admire, oh, it's a beautiful sky. But are you going to love the sky? How are you going to have a loving, reciprocal relationship with the sky? Or with something formless? What does it mean to love? That's a very difficult thing to try to define what it means to love. So, psychologists have described that if you love someone or something, you find that someone fascinating, you find them interesting. One time I was giving class in Brazil and there was one mother with her month old baby and the whole class she was looking at the baby's toes for the entire class and I was thinking she has seen this baby's toes so many times but still she is fascinated because there's love yeah When when you're in love then you find the lovable object fascinating yes and what else does it mean to love it means that you feel your life is vacant without that person. That person has some meaning and importance to you. There's so many things or people I might find fascinating, but if I don't see them for a year or two, I don't even think about them. They're not important to me. So if you really love someone, whether they're there or not is significant, as Mahaprabhu said, If I don't see you, the world is empty. When I was a, a teenager, there was a pop song like that. My world is empty without you. So that is also love. And love is also, I'm there for you. Uh, we say in America, uh, I have your back. You can depend on me. So one time I had one devotee who was always telling me how she was my friend. And one time, you know, I'm, I'm your friend. I'm there for you whenever you need me. So one time I called her and I said, I have a doctor appointment in an hour, and my car just broke down. Can you give me a ride? And she said, oh, today's my day off from work. I don't like to go anywhere. And I thought, that's not much of a friend. So if there's really love, you find the other fascinating. They're important. They have value and meaning in your life. You're there for them. They're there for you. I'm sure there's many other definitions of love. Krishna Das Kaviraj gives the definition of love as your happiness is their happiness. You are happy simply to see them happy. When your, when your child wins an award, you are happy. Right? When your, your spouse gets something, then you're happy for their happiness. A vicarious happiness. So that's another understanding of love. So to have love for God, we have to know who God is, and we have to know who God is as a person. We cannot love what is impersonal. How am I going to, again, love the sky? I may find the sky interesting and it has value for me in a technical sense that it holds the air that I breathe but am I there for the sky I mean it's like is the happiness of the sky my happiness I mean what does it mean am I going to exchange gifts with the sky so there has to be a person so an intelligent person understands the highest thing is love the essence of life is love and the essence of love is to love the best person who is God. Then the big question in life comes well, who is God? How do I know who is God? This first part can be decided by anybody just with a little rational intelligence. You don't need the scriptures or a guru to understand that the highest thing is love and the highest object of love is God, isn't it? Just a little logic will tell us the highest thing is love. People who have money and fame and power, if they have no love in their life, are very unhappy. And people who have love in their life, even if they're poor and sickly, they're happy, yeah? Isn't it? I mean, we'd like love and wealth, perhaps. But if you had to choose between having love and having opulence, you're much happier with love. Everybody knows this. This is not some kind of secret. And the highest person to love would be the Supreme Person. But who is God? Who is that Supreme Person? How am I going to find out who is that Supreme Person? And here Krishna Das kaviraj is telling us, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Supreme Person. So why should we believe him? I mean, we know sociologically, historically, many times, some uh, great teacher of religion or some popular prophet after their death is proclaimed as God or sometimes during their life is proclaimed as God, yes? This is quite common I think particularly in India but it's common in general that someone who's a great teacher that during their life they're seen as a human being but afterwards they're proclaimed as God or even during their life they may be proclaimed as God and there are many such God men isn't it? Especially in India This is an incarnation of God. This this person is an incarnation of God. So how do we know who is God? I mean, somebody may say, well, Lord Chaitanya, he was an enlightened human, he was an advanced human, he was an intelligent human, but he was a human. They may even say about Krishna, that Krishna was, he appeared 5,000 years ago, he was particularly beautiful, he was particularly powerful, but after all, he was a person. Just a, a, a human being. Why do you say he was God? And indeed, one of the difficulties with presenting God as a person with charming human like activities is that people say, Well, how could anyone who appears and walks on this earth as a person and you know has and they eat and they sleep and they have a family and how could you say that they are God? Of course, the problem with such a thing is their definition of God is that God is formless, and god they're limiting God. God cannot have a form. God cannot appear. God cannot have a a family or an occupation, which, if you think about it, is a little peculiar. If I can have a family and I can have an occupation, I can have a house, why, why not God? Am I greater than God? Do I have more varieties of, of pleasure and relationships than God can have? Then what kind of a useless thing is that? Yeah, if they're going to have noisy toys, they either have to be out of the room or they have to be on a mat. Like you just get, take one of the mats and she can take the truck on the mat instead of on the wooden floor. And just tell us she has to keep the, the truck on the mat. So, how do we know? We can guess this way and that way and the other way and, and say, well, maybe God is like this, maybe God is not like this, and we can argue ad infinitum. So how are we going to decide? So how is Srila Prabhupada telling us we should decide here in this purport? On the basis of what? Yes? Scripture. Scripture. Does anyone remember how many evidences he gave Eight, very good. Now, in some of them, he actually gave more than one. So like in evidence four was from the Bhagavatam. So really, he gave eight sources. He gave eight sources, but from the Bhagavatam, for example, he quoted three verses, and from the Svetasvara Upanishad, he quoted two verses. So he had eight sources, and then sometimes in those sources, he quoted more than one verse. And then Krishnadas Kaviraj is also quoting verses. So the primary way we know who is and who is not God is from the Shastra. From the sacred writings. From the scriptures. And such is also the ultimate authority for how to love God. Who is God? What is he like? What does he do? How do I love him? What's that process? The main authority is the scriptures. Of course, to say that in 2018 is a little difficult most people in 2018 don't have much faith in any kind of scripture they consider scripture to be uh, not even historically accurate isn't it right? they'll say well scripture is full of all kinds of fantastic things like uh, eagles flying in outer space and you know how are we going to believe these scriptures that is one of the one of the criticisms because the scripture is full of all kinds of fantastic things that are not part of our reality. But actually, there are many fantastic things in our reality. There's uh, there's actually recorded, empirical, strong evidence of things that are not within the purview of just gross mechanistic science that are happening in the world today. So really, the fantastic things that the scripture describes are happening today, They're just not popularized by the mainstream because they're anomalies in modern scientific theory. So because modern mechanistic scientific theory cannot explain paranormal phenomena, cannot explain extraterrestrial life, cannot explain so many of these things, they don't teach about it in school and they push it to the side as something that is uh, But actually, these things are going on. So these are not really fantastical descriptions. The other question people may have will be, how will we know that the Shastra is actually Shastra? How do we know it's not just something man-made? But then we have to ask this question about everything and anything. How do we know the history of any country? You know, maybe our great-grandparents are still living. Maybe. Maybe. How many how far back is that going? How do we know the history of our great great grandparents and great 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 right you said ten thousand years? How do we know that's accurate history? We don't, is the simple answer. We don't even know that the news we are reading today is accurate. Frankly. Yes. Huh? I mean how do we know unless we're there when the Detroit Temple opened its restaurant? So the news media came. And uh, I remember we, we had just a computer and a monitor, but we hooked it up to receive a signal from the television. And so there was one station, I forget, I think it was NBC. So they had both local reporters and national reporters. And each one of them reported on the restaurant opening. So in one, and this is from the same newswet network, but one was their local network and one was their national network. So the same news network. And one of them took, well, I should explain to you, the Detroit Temple. The Detroit Temple is right on the edge between two neighborhoods. So it's about 10 blocks from a city called Gross, Gross Point Park, which is one of the wealthiest, uh, most prestigious uh, cities in all of America. And then it's about 10 blocks from a place called Jefferson Avenue, which uh, is full of broken windows and graffiti and trash and things like that. So, one of the news broadcasts had pictures of Jefferson Avenue and said, this part of Detroit is falling apart and it's so wonderful that the Hare Krishnas have opened a restaurant here to try to bring up the neighborhood. The other news broadcast took pictures of Gross Point Park and said, this is one of the finest cities around the Detroit area and the Hare Krishnas are ruining it and commercializing it with their restaurant. So two opposite news broadcasts, and I remember my husband and I looking at this and just saying, you cannot believe the news. You cannot believe. Well, both of them were true. Neither of them were fake, but uh, they were both true. But they were giving an opposite perspective, opposite perspective. So if you only watched one of them, you would have a very different perspective than if you only watched the other one. So how do we even know what we are hearing on the news is correct? It may be correct but slanted. It may be not correct. How do we know? What to speak of how do we know what is history? How such a fine restaurant ruin any neighborhood. (laughs) They were saying it was commercializing a residential neighborhood. That was their book. So how do we know? How do we know that these scriptures are actually coming from the beginning of the universe? Can we know that? Can we know that? No, we can't know that. I remember one devotee brought to our Gurukul a video called The Creation of the Universe. And it was supposed to be a video of the beginning of the universe. Oh. And my first question is, who took this video? <laughs> it has to be God. had to be God must have made that video. You might have the proper equipment, right? At the beginning of the universe. So, you know, how do we know? We can look at the evidence today and say, well, this and that. But ultimately, we can't know. Ultimately, it does boil down, I'm sorry to say, to a question of what we believe. We have to have some belief. What is the beginning of the universe? What is history? And for that, we have to have faith in certain people. Like they say with fundraising, people don't give to a cause, they give to a person. And there's even evidence that you'll give more money to one starving person than you will to ten starving people. Isn't that strange? We're, we're, we react to a person. So, why do we have faith that this is the scriptures? Ultimately, because the people who tell us it's the scriptures, we have faith in them. And because when we try what the scriptures say, it works. I mean, why do we have faith in modern science? Because we turn on our smartphone and we can talk with somebody in, you know, Kenya. So we say, yeah, anywhere. Right? I can turn on my smartphone and I can have a video discussion with anybody in any part of the world instantly. And so I think, oh, science works. Yeah? And so I have some faith in the scientists. Of course, many things the scientists say don't work. That's another thing. Then they'll say, well, we'll fix it pretty soon. (laughs) But I don't know any other ultimate test than our own experience. And ultimately, that test of our own experience comes down to the individual. I was uh, with Srila Prabhupada when a reporter was asking him, have you seen God? And for a long time, Prabhupada wouldn't answer him. He kept saying, Why should I tell you? You will not accept my answer. And the reporter kept saying, I will accept. And Prabhupada said, But you will not accept. So why should I tell you? And finally, finally, the reporter convinced Prabhupada that he would accept. And Prabhupada said, Yes, I am seeing God at every moment. But even then, that's someone else's experience. I know many, many people in the Hare Krishna movement who tell me that they have seen Krishna. Face to face, eye to eye. But if I don't see Krishna, I can choose to believe them or not. It's their experience. You understand? Everybody understand? Ultimately, Prachakshavagamandharmamsusukamkartamagya. Ultimately, it boils down to our own experience. Why we believe the Shastra. But we're in a little bit of a stuck situation because if I understand the highest thing is love that only love will give me the greatest happiness and fulfill me completely and the highest person that I should love is God I need to find out who is God from someone, somewhere I need to have faith in something I cannot have faith just in my own mind and in my own senses, which have fooled me so many times. And the most logical is to have faith in the scriptures. So in all the great scriptures of the world there's predictions and descriptions of who is God. And here Prabhupada's giving very specific predictions and specific descriptions of to identify the specific person, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is God. But also there's descriptions in a general way. One time when I was in London, I was speaking at a home program, and I had been told in advance that about half the people at that program were devotees of a particular person who claimed to be God, whose name I shall not mention. So I didn't talk about that at all, but at the end of the program... Someone said, how do you know someone is God? And I said, well, first of all, they will be extraordinarily beautiful. So there was a silence in the room for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I was told afterwards that most of those people renounced their allegiance to this so-called God-man. So all the scriptures also give us a description. Uh, The Bible may not describe specifically Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu but the Bible does describe what does God look like. It says he has eyes like doves. Solomon gives such a description of the form of the Lord. Actually, if you read the description with Chitra Ketu and um, Sankarsana, and you read the description in the Song of Solomon, it's practically identical. What does God look like? We have even described, like here around the temple room, and here we have the, what did the lotus feet of the Lord look like? You know, when, when Lord Chaitanya appeared, he was walking around the house, and his parents noticed, oh, here is footprints with all the signs of the Lord. And they said, our Shalagram Shila must have taken human form and walked around the house. So all the signs of the Lord were on the feet of the Lord, on the palms of the Lord. There's extraordinary configurations of the the form that are not found in that of an ordinary human being. And then the Lord has uncommon activities. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu manifested his Virat Rupa, Sri Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill He expanded himself to dance with 16,108 gopis simultaneously. He married 16,100 princesses simultaneously. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu danced in seven kirtan parties simultaneously. So there were uncommon activities. So these are the objective understanding of who is God. Objective understanding is the scripture, the bodily characteristics, and the uncommon activities. And if we say, well, how can I believe any of this, then we'll be left without an option of loving God. What will we do if we remain simply as agnostics? Huh? Well, I don't know what to believe. Then, then what will we love? We'll take this love that's meant for God and we'll give it to our children and our spouse or our pets, or our computer, or our country, or something like that. And I think we've all had experience that even though it is satisfying to love our children, and our spouse, and our parents, and our country, and our computer, and our car, there's some satisfaction there. But it's not the satisfaction that fills us with unlimited joy and knowledge that we are seeking, is it? Is it? Do we find what we are really seeking in our love for people and objects of this world? So better to try. Better to try to have some faith in the scriptures and the acharyas who are describing who is God. Why not? If we don't try, what are we left with? trying to give our love fully to people and objects where we are not going to find the full satisfaction that we want. However wonderful your child is, your child cannot fulfill all of your desires. Isn't that a fact? I have wonderful children, but they cannot fulfill all of my desires. Isn't that possible? Nor can I fulfill all of their desires. So why not try for it? Prabhupada would say, make an experiment. And of all of the manifestations of God who are worthy of our love, we in the Hare Krishna movement suggest that Sri Caitanya Mahaprabhu and Vrajraj Krishna as Akila Rasamrita Murti can fully satisfy the soul. Yad yatma supersedity. Obviously everyone has their own taste, As Prabhupada explained with Bhishma, Bhishma wanted to serve the Lord in Vaikuntha. Prabhupada said there's no difference really. It's a matter of personal taste. So if after knowing everything about Krishna, one wants to serve Ram or Narayan or Yasinghadeva, that is also fine. They're also God. But we're saying, try to have love for Krishna and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. As Akhila, Rasamrita, Murti, they have the full Range of all possible experience of rasa and exchange. And what is really amazing about uh, having love for Vajraj Krishna and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it is such a love that one forgets one is loving them because they are God. When I'm loving God because He is God, there is always some possibility that there may be some tinge of I am loving you because you are a god because you can do something for me. That possibility is there. But when you lose all awareness that God is God, then that is no longer possible. Then you are just thinking, Krishna, what can I do for you? Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what can I do for you? And one stops thinking about what can you do for me? So therefore we say, objectively, logically, that this is the highest form of love of God. First we have to be convinced that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is God and that Krishna is God. But after being convinced that they are God and falling in love with them, we actually forget that they're God and we no longer care that they're God. <coughs> if someone could bring some good argument to a bridge basi, that Lord Shiva is God, or Ganesh is God, or Durga is God. The bridge wouldn't care. They'd say, fine, let Lord Shiva be God. I don't care. I love Krishna. You understand? I don't care. In fact, interestingly enough, the bridge often worship Narayan as God. You know that. Especially the, the parents of Krishna. They're worshiping Narayan as God. Please protect our little Krishna, they Madhya Soda, when Krishna goes out in the forest, she's putting like a on him, And she says, if you see any demons, you pray to Nasingade. And he's trying to repress his smile. <laughs> yes, Mother. Rupa Goswami says, may that repressed smile bless you all. So this Chaitanya tamita, particularly the Chaitanya tamita is advising a standard of love of God that is beyond that, even conceived of by the religious systems in the world that are teaching love of God. Even you can find a genuine religion that's actually teaching to know God and love God, usually they are teaching in a majestic way. Generally speaking. Generally speaking. I mean, there are others, like the Nimbarka Sampradaya also teaches worship of Radha and Krishna. We're not saying we're the only ones. That's ridiculous. But generally speaking, it's like that. And this is such an intimate way to love God. You forget that he's God. If they don't forget that he's God, how are the gopis saying, get out of here? You're a rascal. I'm not having anything to do with you. You don't talk this way to God. Who talks this way to God? Mother Yasoda saying, You're a naughty boy. You're a thief. You need to grow up and be a proper gentleman. Nobody talks this way to God. This would be. For those who think of God as opulent, this would be blasphemy, yeah? Right? Who can understand anyone speaking to God like that? oh, you didn't hold up the hill. It was actually me with my mantras, Madhu Mangala is saying. So this is such a sweet form of love of God. And the real way to get faith in this love of God is to try it. There's simply, there's no substitute. One can be convinced with logic and reason. One can be convinced by Shastra. One can do it because one's grandmother did it. That's okay. But ultimately, our faith has to come from experience. Our faith in chanting Hare Krishna, our faith in offering our food to Krishna, in falling in love with Krishna, we have to have some experience. And Prabhupada has given us a process. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given us a process. Krishna Das Kaviraj has given us a process where anyone can experience very quickly. I was telling this group yesterday how there's one devotee who's also a very famous Catholic preacher. He regularly speaks to audiences of between one and two thousand, 100 000 to 200,000 people preaching Catholic doctrine. But he said one time, his story is that his brother had cancer, and to try to cure his cancer, his brother became a vegetarian. And he asked his family members, please support me and also become vegetarian. It would be easier for me to be vegetarian if the rest of my family is also following the same diet. So to make his brother happy, he became a vegetarian. And one month after giving up eating meat, he saw a sign for one temple, Hare Krishna temple. And somehow the word Krishna attracted him. So he went on the internet and he was searching Krishna. And he found these videos on YouTube Of devotees giving their remembrances of Shiva Prabhupada. And so he decided, what did this man teach? And he found a recording of Prabhupada chanting Hare Krishna. There's two recordings, one which is fast, one which is slow. So he found the slow recording, which are 11 minute rounds, by the way. You can ask me later how I know that. But he said to me, remember, he was telling me about this, and we said simultaneously, those are 11 minute rounds. So he started chanting japa along with Śrīla Prabhupāda in the same rhythm as Śrīla Prabhupāda. And he said within a few days he was able to give up things and let go of things that he had been trying to give up and let go of for years. And he thought, I've never experienced such a powerful spiritual process. One year here in Germany at Simachalam Temple I was there with the Pandavasena group from London we were having a a retreat there and one young, uh, I think it was American, who was traveling through Germany as a tourist, happened to come there and I was talking to him about Krishna consciousness, mostly about sociological things, Varnashram. So after about four days of talking about the sociological aspects, he said, I think I want to try chanting. I said, okay. So he took some beads and he went out into the forest in the property And after about 40 minutes, he came back and he said, this chanting should be a controlled substance. (laughs) So one has to experience. Uh, One has to experience. We have one one last story we'll end with. So this is the story of our temple president in Dallas, Texas, Nityananda. So Srila Prabhupada started our movement in Fiji But it didn't get that big, and later on, Tamar Krishna was there trying to grow the movement in Fiji. So the devotees there had just, I don't know if they bought or they rented, but they had a house in a residential neighborhood, and thinking that they were going to purify the neighborhood, they had huge speakers outside their home, like you'll see in India many times. So most of the people in Fiji are originally of Indian ancestry. So just like many times you go to India and they're playing kirtans at 2 in the morning, right? Very loud. So loud it becomes distorted, yeah? Right. So in Fiji they had these speakers outside their house, and as soon as they had Mangalartik in the temple, it was on the speakers. So everyone in the neighborhood was hearing Mangalartik at 4.30 in the morning. So their immediate neighbor was one of the top lawyers and political leaders in Fiji. Uh, one of the most powerful people in Fiji. An <coughs> and he was often working. He, was, he I heard this story from him directly. So he was often working until 2 o'clock in the morning. And then he would come home exhausted and 4 30. So he went to complain to the devotees and they didn't care. We're going to play our Mangalartik. He complained and complained and complained and they didn't care. So finally he uh, started a legal case against the devotees. To get the movement thrown out of Fiji. And he took out full page ads, he was a very wealthy man, took out full page ads in the newspapers criticizing the devotees. So one time, Tamal Krishnamaraj was visiting and he thought, "Ah, maybe if I talk to the leader, he'll do something. So they told Maharaj that this man is here, and Maharaj intentionally made him wait for an hour. That is a tactic. So after waiting for an hour he went to see Tamal Krishnamaraj and he was a this gentleman was a Shaivite by the way. So as I said most of Fiji is Indian ancestry. So he went to see Tamal Krishnamaraj and Tamal Krishnamaraj said "Uh, I'm ready to make a deal with you if you are up for a challenge. By the way don't try this at home. So Tamal Krishnamaraj said to him I asked you to practice Krishna consciousness fully for one month. 16 mounds, four regulated principles, offering all your food, worshiping the Lord early in the morning, everything for one month. And after one month of doing it, if you decide Krishna consciousness is not real, we will pack up and leave Fiji. But if after one month you decide Krishna consciousness is real, then you have to cancel your lawsuit and you have to take out other full-page advertisements in all the newspapers glorifying the Hare Krishna move. So he agreed. He said after two weeks of following the full process of Krishna consciousness his life had changed so much that he could not deny that Krishna consciousness was real. And he didn't know what to do. And then he felt I really need to find a spiritual master to help me in my Krishna consciousness. And as he was praying that night before he went to bed, that night he had a dream where Lord Shiva appeared to him and said, go and surrender to Tamakrishna And the next day he went to Tamakrishna he said, I want to be your disciple and take up Krishna consciousness. He's now the temple president at our ISKCON temple in Dallas, Texas. So my point is, try it. We are saying Mahaprabhu is God based on the scripture, but you may say, I don't know, what is this scripture? I don't know. I've never heard of this scripture Prabhupada's quoting I mean, what is it what is that Krishna Kamala Tantra why should I have faith in that just because Srila Prabhupada's quoting this saying Lord Chaitanya is God and you could say he had uncommon bodily symptoms but how do I know it was 500 years ago somebody could have just made that up or what he did try it what do you have to lose nothing Material life, we will lose everything. That is sure. One hundred percent sure. What do we get to keep at the end of this life? Nothing. Nothing. Anybody will get to keep something? You can ask your relatives, please bury my computer with me. It won't work, you know. You go to the Egyptian tombs, they have all this stuff with them. But it's still there in the tombs. They didn't take it. They left it there. (laughs) And even, I'm sorry to say, we will be forgotten. How many people here know all the names of their great great grandparents? That means your great great grandchildren will not know your name. Just imagine. That means my grandchildren's grandchildren. They'll not even know my name. What to speak of what I did? What do we? What do we have? Nothing. That's our own family. (laughs) What to speak of any anybody else? You know, you'll live your whole life. You'll get two sentences in the newspaper. If you're really a big man like my father, he got like five paragraphs in the New York Times for his whole life. If you're a big person in ISKCON, we'll give you one article in Back to Godhead, 2,500 words. And the devotees will take your passing as an excuse to eat gulubjumus. <laughs> but what will we have in this life? We'll get our PhDs and our MBAs, and next life we're going gag, gag, woo, woo again. All gone. So this we're definitely going to lose. Absolutely, 100% guaranteed. So why not try for something which is eternal and real? Why not try? Why not make an experiment? And if we're going to experiment, try to experiment fully. If you really want to know what the water's like, you can put your toe in and your other toe in and Swiggle around your fingers and you get some idea, but you're not going to really know unless you jump in and swim. That's the only way to discover is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu God or not? Is Krishna God or not? So I will end here. Shiva Prabhupada, Ki Jai. It's already after nine, but if anybody has any burning questions... Yes? Um, Well, as devotees, we would definitely like to um, trust Srimad Bhagavatam and the shastras, but there are still statements in the shastras which are really too fantastic uh, and uh, sometimes maybe even not pleasing to hear and we're just not convinced about it. Mm. How how would you deal with that? Okay. Well, first of all, I don't think we should have expectations of ourselves that we're going to immediately, instantly and totally have faith in every word of the Shastra and every word of the Acharyas and every word of Srila Prabhupada. To expect that we're going to have that kind of faith immediately or very quickly is not reasonable. And if we have that expectation, we'll simply be dishonest with ourselves and with others and pretend we have faith that we don't have. I mean, even Arjuna didn't have full faith in all of everything Krishna said, Yeah. He was saying, uh, you taught this to the sun god? I mean, I don't understand. We're the same age. How did you speak to the sun god millions of years ago? So he had questions. And he said, I don't understand what you're teaching me, Krishna. You're telling me to give up all abominable activities. And then you're saying, go and fight. How does that make any sense? You're telling me to do booty yoga. And then you're telling me to fight? How is fighting booty yoga? I don't understand this. And he said, then you're telling me this is Stanga Yoga system, but Chancala Himana Krishna, it's not going to work. I'm going to fail. And what happens to people who fail? They try it and they fail, and then they've lost both material and spiritual life, and it just sounds like a bad deal to me. So, you know, Arjuna had doubts, and he asked Krishna his doubts. And in the Bhagavatam, also, the speakers, are, they're asking. They're saying, how, how would Pryaschita work? I don't understand. Seems to me like an elephant bathing. Or Why would Hiranyakashipu be so angry at his son? Or how is it that God is impartial? He doesn't seem to be impartial. He seems to favor the devotees. So these questions are asked, and without these questions, there is no Shastra. The Shastra is based on these questions. So we also should be asking these questions. Now, right now, I'm the the chair of the Shastric Advisory Council to the GBC, and the main project we're working on right now is what's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is how do we explain and understand the statements of guru and the sadhus, the acharyas, and scriptures. Now, it's how to explain and understand any statement in the shastras and from the acharyas, but particularly, these are useful principles and tools for how to explain the things that are very difficult for us, where we're like, "What? I just, I just can't accept this. This doesn't make sense to me. It seems to contradict my experience, and you know, it's just too much for me." So we're working on a system of uh, to teach the devotees in general how to deal with these questions, and we're pulling from the Vedas themselves. So the Vedas themselves give principles and tools by which one can understand the shastras, which one can understand the words of the acharyas. So we're working on a system to, that would be a much more than uh, the the beginning course we're working on will be a 10 to 12 hour course. So obviously it's not something I can talk about at 9.07. But I would say that take the parts that you do have faith in and follow that. Um, ask questions. Ask questions of people you have faith in. And have faith that things will be revealed to you in time. Sometimes we have difficulty understanding because we're not yet at a level where we can understand. Just like I'm I'm writing a book with a co-author, Luke Meany, who has a PhD in mathematics, and my background in math and hard science is very small. My PhD is in the soft sciences. And there is something she says to me that I just have to say, Rukmini, I, I don't have the background to understand this. You know, I just, she asked me to look at her, her paper for a scientific journal, and I said, well, I can understand the parts that are in English. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't have the qualification to understand the other parts. So one thing that happens as we practice Krishna consciousness, our qualification increases. And then we come back to the scriptures and we come back to the words of the Acharyas, and often we'll go, Oh! <laughs> yes. Or sometimes it's just finding the right person. You know, I remember one devotee who I had one question for 15 years, and I finally found the right person who just, Oh, it's like this now. Like, oh! And then I got it. And I also accept that there are some things in the scriptures that I may never understand while I'm in this body. They're, they're just, they're beyond me. You know? And one has to also discriminate between what things in the scriptures that I don't understand are relevant to my life, and what things really, it doesn't matter if I understand them or not. If I understand the movements of the planets in the fifth canto or not, it doesn't make any difference as to what I'm going to eat for breakfast. It, just, it has no relevance to my life. So I put those, those questions or those doubts I put as kind of a second tier. And the things that really have importance to my life and my practice, I pray about them, I ask devotees, I try to learn tools of understanding. And I have found that gradually these things do become revealed. And this is our, our experience, I think, of almost all the devotees. As far as being fantastic, any description of ultimate cause is fantastic. If you look at the scientists' description of the creation of the universe with their singularity and Big Bang, that's pretty fantastic. We have no experience in our modern world of a Big Bang and a singularity. Yeah? It's completely outside of our experience. And although their explanation is consistent in and of itself, there's many things it doesn't explain and there's many other theories and laws that are in contradiction to it but i mean to say that something appeared from nothing do you ever see something appear from nothing and it's infinitely small and infinitely dense is there any such a thing and somehow inexplicably it explodes and creates the universe we don't generally see explosions creating anything but chaos so that's also fantastic. As soon as you start to go to the origin, you're going to find things that are fantastic. And frankly, there are fantastic things that cannot be explained by gross science happening right now. You know, as I say, it's not in the mainstream media, it's considered fringe. Why? Because they can't explain it. Is that all right? Yes, thank you very much. You are most welcome. So, right now, we should have the direct experience of taking Krishna Prasadam. Krishna Prasadam Ki Jai Shri Valkad Ki Jai Chaitanya Chaitamrita Ki